friends, let us now listen to Brother Mel Caparos, pastor of Living Word Christian Churches of Cebu International. Father, we thank you and bless you for this blessed morning. We trust that you have purposes laid out for us. And Lord, we are ready to receive from you. We are ready to be blessed by your word. We are ready for the outpouring of your spirit upon our hearts and our minds. And Lord, we come before you right now in humility. We know the curtain has been removed. The veil has been torn. And so we know we have access into your throne room. We have your ear, O oh God. And so we know that you are hearing our prayers right now. And our prayer, O oh God, is that you might minister to each and every heart, O oh God. We pray that you might fulfill all of your good purposes for each and every one of us. I pray for myself, Lord. You know my limitations. You know my weaknesses. And so I pray, Father, that you might guide my thoughts and my lips. Lord, let me speak in such a manner that this will somehow bring conviction, repentance, even faith, and inspiration. Lord, we seek your face this morning, and whatever is going to be achieved, we will give you back the glory, the praises, and the thanks. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen and amen. Let's be seated in the presence of the Lord. I've entitled this morning's sermon, God's Weapon versus Satan's Weapon. Now, from time immemorial, there has been a battle between good and evil. And as we very well know, behind this battle, of course, is God versus Satan. And so, this is not only something that has happened in past history... But it somehow still continues on today. In fact, just very recently, just to share to you a bit of news, um, Taiwan was the very first Asian country that approved or legislated same-sex marriage. So same-sex marriage has now come to Asia, unfortunately. And right now, even in our country, there is a battle and there is a vote, there is a poll that is being done right now whether to approve or reject same-sex marriage. So the battle between good and evil continues on. And let me just say this, it will continue all the way up to the book of Revelation in the last days. In fact, in the last days, if you will study the book of Revelation, the theme there actually is the war between good and evil. Now, of course, you and I know who's going to win in the end. God is going to win in the end. And so we take uh, faith in that. We're encouraged by that. But we know that the battle continues on. Now, God calls and uses people to fulfill His purposes to defeat the schemes of Satan. But I'd like to be able to tell you as well that Satan is a copycat. In fact, if you go to the book of Revelation, one of the things that he copies is the blessed trinity. So Satan plays the role of God the Father. And then the Antichrist plays the role of Jesus Christ. And then the false prophet somehow imitates the Holy Spirit. So Satan is really a copycat. And what we see is that in the same manner that God uses people to fulfill His purposes, Satan also chooses people as His instruments to destroy God's people. Now, in this chapter, we find a human drama, and we find God's instrument versus Satan's instrument, Esther versus Haman. Now, God works behind the scenes, and what we see is that God supplies Esther with the wisdom 
so, so that she could curry the favor of the king, King Xerxes at that time. On the other hand, what we see here in the case of Satan is that he somehow supplies or infuriates uh, Haman so that in his anger, he would desire to destroy the people of the Lord. Now, in all of these, we are not to worry. Why? Because our God is greater than Satan. Could we say that, please? Our God is greater than Satan. The Bible says that He is greater. Greater is He who is in us than He that is in the world. So we take comfort in that fact and in that truth. So let me just share to you about God's weapon versus Satan's weapon. So we will begin with God's weapon, Queen Esther. Now just a little review, if you recall, there was a decree that was issued by the king. Of course, upon the instigation of Haman, and the decree was to annihilate the entire Jewish race. Now, the root of that was that Haman took offense with Mordecai because Mordecai did not pay homage or honor to Haman. And as a result of that, in his anger, he wanted the entire Jewish race to be annihilated, not just Mordecai. And so, because of that, what Mordecai did was he implored Queen Esther to make intercession before King Xerxes so that in that intercession, the people of Israel would be delivered. Now, you and I know that Esther was quite worried because there was a rule in the kingdom that you could not just approach the king without a prior appointment. In fact, what would happen, what could possibly happen is that if you appear before the king without an appointment, you could pay dearly with your own life. So there was really a risk on the part of Queen Esther. And initially, she was actually very, very worried. But you see, what happened was Mordecai was able to convince her and told her that she, being a Jew, was also at risk. It was only a matter of time. She, likewise, could be executed. So she made this firm resolution. If I perish, I perish. So she was determined to somehow act upon the request of Mordecai. She requested, however, that the entire Jewish populace uh, fast and pray. And here is where you and I will see that prayer and fasting is very effective. It creates a lot of impact, a positive impact in our lives. We will talk about that later on. So let's talk about the huge risk that Esther took upon herself as she interceded for the nation of Israel. In verse 1, it says, Now it came about on the third day, that Esther put on her royal robes rather, and stood in the inner court of the king's palace in front of the king's rooms. And the king was sitting on his royal throne in the throne room opposite the entrance to the palace. So what Esther does is that she presents her best foot forward. She appears before the king not in a shabby way, but in a very royal and majestic way. She wanted to have the best possible appearance before the king. Somehow she was hoping that the king would once again be dazzled by her own beauty in the same way that he was dazzled by the beauty of Queen Esther when he first saw her. And so this was actually the motive or the intention of Queen Esther. So she dressed up in royal robes. She must have made herself up really well and really beautiful. So she stood in the presence of the king. But then the suspense must have been killing Queen Esther. Perhaps even during the night before this happened, maybe she could not sleep. And maybe she was thinking to herself, is this, is this the time I'm going to die? Or will I survive? Will the king accept me in his presence? These were the things that were running through the mind of Queen Esther. 
And so, what happens here? Well, let's take a look at the response of King Xerxes in verse 2. It says, when the king saw Esther the queen standing in the court, she obtained favor in his sight. And the king extended to Esther the golden scepter which was in his hand. So Esther came near and touched the top of the scepter. What a sigh of relief. The first hurdle was actually overcome. And now she could work on the other hurdles as well. So once again here, we find that God was moving behind the scenes. And I made mention of the fact that the people of Israel fasted and prayed. We're talking about millions of Jews who actually fasted and prayed so that Esther would gain favor from the king. And herein, we find a sidebar, a very important part of the story that when you and I pray and intercede before the Lord, we can be sure that God will hear our prayers. He will hear our cries. Now, we need to be mindful of the fact that prayer in the first place is not a matter of performance, but it is a matter of righteousness. And the reason why you and I can come before the presence of the Lord and somehow believe that He will accept our prayers is because the veil has been torn, the curtain has been removed, because Christ has died, He has paved the way for us to be able to enter into the presence of God without any hindrance whatsoever. And so we have the ear of God, more so if we are earnestly praying before Him, if we are earnestly seeking His face through fasting and prayer. And yesterday, we had our congregational prayer and fasting. For those of you who have not yet attended a congregational prayer and fasting, allow me to invite you to join us. And what we do during those times is we pray for the entire country. We pray for Cebu province. We pray for the government officials. We pray for the harvest of souls. We pray for churches. We pray for people to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And we know that God hears our prayers. Yesterday, my wife saw an answered prayer. She was going to pay for her internet bill. And it so happened that there was somebody who was assisting her. She initially wanted to do it by machine, but the machine was offline. And so there was somebody who assisted her. And thankfully, my wife was able to see an opening to be able to share the gospel. And interestingly enough, as she was sharing the gospel, this lady began to tear up. When my wife began to explain about the love of God and what Christ has done, she began to tear up right in the very presence of, of other people. And she was probably wondering why she was tearing up. It was actually the work of the Holy Spirit in answer to our prayers. That's why prayer is so important. This is the reason I believe why she was accepted in the presence of the king. Well, of course, she was beautiful. And most probably, King Xerxes was dazzled by her appearance. But let me say that first and foremost, the reason why she was accepted in the presence of the king was because of the prayers of God's people. And so the first hurdle was overcome. And now she could start thinking about the other hurdles. So here's what happened in verse 3. Then the king said to her, What is troubling you, Queen Esther? And what is your request? Even to half of the kingdom, it shall be given to you. Now, how did the, know, how did the king rather know that king, uh, Queen Esther was deeply troubled? Well, in the first place, the king already knew the law. The law was you could not appear before the king without a prior appointment. So for Queen Esther to appear in the presence of the king without an appointment meant that there was something that was deeply bothering her. And that is why the king knew straight away 
that there was something that was bringing trouble into the heart of Queen Esther. That is why the question here is, what is troubling you, Queen Esther? And what is your request? Even to half of the kingdom, it shall be given to you. Now, this is really encouraging. King Xerxes did not only grant her audience in his presence, but was even telling her, I'm going to give you anything that you request, even up to half of my kingdom. Now, of course, this was an idiomatic expression. And basically, what the king was really trying to say is, whatever you request of me, I'm going to give it to you, Esther. Now, what a great relief, once again, on the part of Queen Esther. But this is what happens when we pray. This is what happens when we intercede. God providentially works behind the scenes. And we find that what the book of Proverbs says is actually true. That God can turn the hearts of kings like channels of water. And all we simply need to do is pray and seek the face of God. Now, of course, this also tells us of the exceedingly great affection the king had with Queen Esther. You know, this story is also a love story and we must not miss it. The love story is really part of the deliverance of the nation of Israel. And that's why the amazing thing about God is that God can use anything and everything to fulfill His good purposes. So He can use a relationship. He can use a, a love story. He can use people. He can use circumstances. He can use events to be able to fulfill His purposes. And that's exactly what we see here. There's a love story here between King Xerxes and Queen Esther. And this is like, uh, like the story of Antony and Cleopatra. All right? So the king was willing to give anything. Now notice, however, that Queen Esther was a woman of wisdom. Notice that she was initially testing the waters and trying to soften the fallow ground of the heart of the king. Where do we find that? Let's take a look at verse 4, please. It says, Esther said, If it pleases the king, may the king and Haman come this day to the banquet that I have prepared for him. Now, what was Queen Esther trying to do here? I believe she was really testing the waters. Notice, she was making a conditional statement. She said, if it pleases the king, may the king and Haman come this day. Now, this was to find out if the king had a favorable disposition towards her and if the king would act immediately. That is why notice the urgency of her request. She says, if it pleases the king, may the king and Haman come when? This day. May the king and Haman come this day. Now notice, she was really testing the waters. She was really trying to see if the king was willing to respond, if he was really serious about giving even half of the kingdom to her or giving whatever she requested. So she was really testing the waters here. And what do we see here? The wisdom of God. And once again, God supplies His wisdom to His people when they pray. And once again, we need to look back at the background of the story. There were millions of Jews who were fasting and praying and not only was Queen Esther in suspense, the entire Jewish race, Mordecai himself, were in great suspense. They were wondering, what is happening in the, in the court? What, what could have possibly happened when, when Queen Esther entered into the throne? Was she accepted? Or will she suffer capital punishment? They were all wondering, but they were in prayer. And you know what? Sometimes we miss out on one of the more basic and more important things that you and I should be doing. 
Remember that the call of God for us believers in Christ in John 15 is to abide in Christ. Now, how do we abide in Christ? We abide in Christ through the reading, the study, and the application of His Word. We abide in Christ as we come before Him in prayer. And remember, this is not something that is optional on our part. We are required by God to abide in Him all the time. Because our fruitfulness, and I would like to add, our wisdom depends on whether we are abiding on the vine. Remember this, we are simply the branches. On our own, we cannot produce anything. On our own, we cannot supply fruit. We cannot produce fruit. Only when we abide in the vine who is Christ, May we have the assurance that we will have fruitfulness and wisdom in our lives. No wonder Charles Haddon Spurgeon was a very wise preacher. He was called the Prince of Preachers. He was so eloquent and so charismatic, so powerful, that even at the age of 17 years old, he was serving the Lord as a pastor at the young age of 17 years old. And yet thousands of people would troop to his church. Thousands of people. And you would wonder where was he getting all that wisdom? Well, one time there were certain visitors who visited Metropolitan Tabernacle, the church that he was pastoring. And so he brought them straight away to the basement area of the church building. Now, you'd probably wonder, of all places, why bring the people in the basement area? But he wanted to show them something. And so he brought them to the basement area of the church building, and what the visitors saw was a sight to behold. There were 200 people who were in prayer for Charles Haddon Spurgeon. And they were doing that not on occasion, but every single Sunday, they were faithfully praying and plodding on, interceding for their pastor so that as their pastor preached the Word of God, he would preach it with power, with eloquence, and with wisdom. And that's the secret, my dear brothers and sisters. The people, those visitors saw the secret of that church, the Metropolitan Tabernacle it was prayer. That's why I don't want us to miss that, brothers and sisters, because while we see all of these things taking place, the grace of God, the favor of God, the blessing of God, we might just assume that God will do it anyway without prayer. No, friends, God moves in answer to prayer. And by the way, that's, that's something I need to ask you. How's your prayer life? How's your abiding life in the Lord? May I submit to you that if you and I are not deep in our prayer lives, it is not, it is not producing any fruit at all in our lives. And I'm hoping and praying that we really learn the secret of abiding in Christ, abiding in prayer. So once again, wisdom was applied to Queen Esther. Now notice how the king responded once again in verse 5. It says, Then the king said, Bring Haman quickly that we may do as Esther desires. So the king and Haman came to the banquet which Esther had prepared. Once again, this was an encouraging sign. Notice the response of the king. Bring Haman quickly. I mean, the king could have said, you know, Esther, why the urgency? Why do you need me and Haman today? Can we not postpone it tomorrow? Can we not do this next week? Can we not do this next month? He, he could have responded in that way. But notice here, God was working in the heart of King Xerxes. Everything that Esther wanted, she, he was willing to give. And so he said, bring Haman quickly that we may do as Esther desires. So right now, Queen Esther, although she was not the head, she was the neck. And you know what the neck does with the head? The neck turns the head wherever it wishes. And that's exactly what was happening here in this particular case. 
And so he was following the desire of Esther. So the king and Haman came to the banquet which Esther had prepared. There was an immediate response. So the initial testing of the waters actually proved successful. And you know what? There's also wisdom here. Remember the saying, the dictum that says, haste makes what? Haste makes what? Haste makes waste. So she was not hurrying at all. She was continually testing the waters, trying to find out what the response of the king would be, what his disposition would be towards her. And once again, this was God supplying her the wisdom. Now, notice what happens in verse 6. As they drank their wine at the banquet, the king said to Esther, What is your petition? For it shall be granted to you. And what is your request? Even to half of the kingdom, it shall be done. Now, notice the setup here. The setup was a banquet. Now, do you remember what happened in chapter 1? Do you remember what happened in chapter 1? There, there was six months of what? Six months of feasting and drinking. The king himself had prepared a great banquet for all the VIPs of the Medo-Persian kingdom. So what does that tell you about the king? The king was a wine and a food lover. He was a wine and a food lover. And remember, they even extended that for one whole week. Maybe let's read chapter 1 just to refresh our memories. Take a look at chapter 1 beginning at verse 3, please. It says here, In the third year of his reign, he gave a banquet for all his princes and attendants, the army officers of Persia and Media, the nobles and the princes of his provinces being in his presence. And he displayed the riches of his royal glory and the splendor of his great majesty for many days, 180 days. Now when these days were completed, the king gave a banquet lasting seven days. So he was not content with the six months, seven more days. For all the people who were present at the citadel in Susa, from the greatest to the least, in the court of the garden of the king's palace. There were hangings of fine white and violet linen, held by cords of fine purple linen on silver rings and marble columns, and couches of gold and silver on a mosaic pavement of porphyry, marble, mother of pearl, and precious stones. Drinks were served in golden vessels of various kinds, and the royal wine was plentiful according to the king's bounty. The drinking was done according to the law. There was no compulsion, for so the king had given orders to each official of his household that he should do according to the desires of each person. Again, what does that tell you? The king, as well as the people of Medo-Persia, were wine and food lovers. So what do you think Esther was doing here? I recall what somebody once said, the, the fastest way to reach the heart of a man is through his stomach. Have the woman done that here? You know, I, I really wonder why in the very first year of marriage, the men already have big dummies. Could it be that the women are following this particular secret? And by the way, this tells you, listen well, there's no such thing as free lunch. Can I say that once again? There is no such thing as a free lunch. Now, obviously, Esther had an agenda in this particular case. Now, of course, it was a good agenda. It was the deliverance of her people, the nation of Israel. Now, this tells us that we need to be wise in our dealings with people. Doesn't the Bible say that we are to be wise as serpents and gentle as doves? The people of God should always operate in wisdom. When it comes to our relationships, when it comes to people that we are dealing with, when it comes to our own life situation, 
our own circumstances, we must be able to apply wisdom. And once again, this is what we see in the case of Queen Esther. She was using her charms and she was using certain things that would endear her to the king. And friends, that somehow is what we need to do as well. We need to supply wisdom in our activities, most especially in our sharing of the gospel. Some of us, when we share the gospel, it's like we're doing dynamite fishing. You know what happens when you use dynamite for fishing? It kills the fishes. And that's why, by the way, that's the reason why I want you to to get this book, Conversational Evangelism, because the style of evangelism there is that you surface, you allow the people to surface the truth for themselves. You don't ram it down their throats. Sometimes that's the way we do evangelism. That's why people get turned off. We need to supply wisdom in the things that we do. Now again, what was Esther doing here? She was endearing herself by giving what the king enjoyed the most. And guess what? Can you please read once again? Verse 6, it says, As they drank their wine at the banquet, the king said to Esther, What is your petition? For it shall be granted to you. This is the second time the king says this, the second time. And once again, the king says, what is your request even to half of the kingdom? It shall be done. Second time around. Now, why do you think the narrator records that for us? Well, the repeated promise somehow gives the people of God and also Queen Esther greater confidence. The king repeated his promise once again. He did not change his mind. In other words, when he said that he would give Esther whatever she requested, it was not on impulse. He was resolute. He was determined to give what Esther really wanted. And so once again, this provides greater confidence. But then again, notice Queen Esther continues to supply wisdom in what she was doing. She made a further testing and she set up the situation. Let's take a look at verses 7 and 8 at this time. It says, So Esther replied, My petition and my request is, hold your breath, if I have found favor in the sight of the king, and if it pleases the king to grant my petition and do what I request, may the king and Haman come to the banquet. What? I mean, the king just requested you what you wanted, and now, in suspense, she withholds the particular request, the real request that she had. And she says, may the king and Haman come to the banquet, which I will prepare for them, and tomorrow I will do as the king says. What do you think was Esther doing in this particular case? Once again, she was testing the king further. She was stretching somewhat the situation to find out if the king was really serious, if the king was really willing to do what she wanted. So once again, what do we see here? Great wisdom. And by the way, once again, we know God was behind the scenes. God was actually setting up everything because the truth of the matter was there was another crisis that was impending, not on the entire Jewish race, but this time on Mordecai. And so God was behind the delay. That's why, again, let me just say this. We need to be patient with the Lord. Sometimes we think that the Lord is dilly-dallying on certain matters, and we're thinking, Lord, why don't, why don't you do something right now? But sometimes God is saying, just be patient, my son. Just be patient, my daughter. I'm doing something. You need to wait upon the Lord. And so once again, there's wisdom here. So what was, what was Esther doing? She was probably also testing the king and trying to make a surprise attack on Haman so that he might not be able to prepare himself. 
And guess what would endear her to the king? More food and more wine. So another banquet, another banquet. Somehow she felt this was going to be the clincher. This is what will truly win the heart of the king. And once again, friends, this is where you and I need to somehow learn how to depend on the Holy Spirit. We need to learn, on the, learn how to, to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. Some of us have, have lost our disciples' ear. Some of us are no longer paying attention and listening to the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit is, is a God who speaks to His people. That's why the Bible says in the Gospel of John chapter 10, My sheep hear my voice. So if you happen to be God's sheep, Here's one thing God has given to you, the ability to hear God's voice. Of course, how do we know God is speaking to us? Well, we know God is speaking to us if it does not contradict the Scriptures. Now, if it contradicts the Scriptures, definitely that's not God speaking to you. But we need to rely on God at all times. You see, what was happening here was a kind of dire situation. When the people of Israel, as well as Queen Esther and Mordecai, were at their wit's end. And you know what? God delights in such situations. God delights in the fact that you and I are in a situation wherein we sense our inadequacy and our insufficiency. So that our total dependence would not be on ourselves, but our total dependence would be on God Himself. Be strong in the, in the might of God's strength. That is what the Bible says. Not by might nor by power, but by God's Spirit shall we prevail. And that's what we need to do, brothers and sisters. Now, remember this. Why is it that we need to depend on the Lord? Why is it that we need to seek His face? Why is it that we need to make ourselves available for God's use? Because we need to remind ourselves there's a war going on. There's a spiritual, there is an invisible spiritual war that is taking place. And sometimes we just need to remember that and refresh our memories that we are in a war. And in this war, there is a battle between good and evil. And the big question, of course, we need to understand is on what side are we in? Now you might say, but I'm a Christian. I'm a believer. Most definitely, I'm on the side of good. And my response to that is, really? Because the truth of the matter is, you can be a professing believer, but you could be on the side of the evil one when you fulfill whatever his purposes and plans are, which are to destroy. And we see that in Philippians chapter 1, didn't we? In Philippians chapter 1, there were certain preachers and ministers who were trying to spite, they were trying to anger Paul. They were trying to compete against Paul in the matter of preaching. They were trying to win a fan's club. They were trying to win people to themselves. And that is rather unfortunate. They were doing the Lord's work, but they were doing it with the wrong heart. So just because you say, I'm a believer in Christ, does not necessarily mean you're on the side of good. We could be on the side of the evil one. Now, we don't want that happening, do we? And so here's, here's why it is so important that we abide in the Lord. Because if we're not abiding in the Lord, if we are not attaching ourselves to the vine who is Christ, we are bound to fail. And there's going to be pruning that's going to take place in our lives. Because God will not allow His children to continue walking the path of the evil one. That is why there is such a thing as godly discipline. God disciplines His own people. Why? Why does He do that? Well, so that they might affect or God might affect righteousness in their lives. 
So let's turn over um, our study right now to Satan's weapon, Haman. Now let's take a look at Haman's happiness as well as his hatred. In verse 9, let's read verses 9 and 10. It says, Then Haman went out that day glad and pleased of heart. But when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate, and that he did not stand up or tremble before him, Haman was filled with anger against Mordecai. Haman controlled himself, however, went to his house and sent for his friends and his wife, Zeresh. Now, what do we see here? Well, first of all, we see that Haman was, was glad, he was pleased in his heart. Why was he pleased with his heart? Because Queen Esther had just invited him, not once, but twice, to a banquet. So he really felt good about himself. He really felt very, very special. But you know what? His happiness, the gladness of his heart, was short-lived. Why? Why was it short-lived? Because when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate, that he did not stand up or tremble before him, Haman was filled with anger against Mordecai. So here's the problem with proud people. <coughs> proud people always want other people to kowtow to them. They always want people to admire and adore them. And if it's not happening in every sector and in every place, they become dissatisfied, they become discontent. In fact, they become very angry. Take a look at what happened here in the case of Haman. I mean, he was, he was very happy. He was very jolly. He was having a fun time. But just with the presence of one person, guess what happened? It ruined his entire day. It ruined his entire day. And you know what? Sometimes we have to think about this. Is it possible that when we see someone that we're angry with, it ruins our day already? Is it possible that when we see this someone who is not kowtowing to us, who is not paying attention or paying homage to us, we are immediately angered in our hearts. It ruins our entire day. We need to be very careful because that is a red flag. And we don't want to enter into the pitfall of Satan because that is a trap of the enemy. That is why here's what the Bible says, let not your anger, let not the sun go down on your anger. Now you might say, my, my anger is righteous indignation. Yes, fine. But you know what? Righteous indignation that lingers on up to the next day is no longer righteous indignation. It has become unrighteous. That's the reason why we have to allow ourselves to be released from all bitterness and anger in our hearts. What is the past needs to be the past in our lives. We need to be able to forgive and to forget. Otherwise, we have fallen into the pitfall and the trap of the enemy. And that, my dear brothers and sisters, is where he wants us to be. Let me tell you this. Satan wants you bitter. Satan wants you angry. Satan wants you dissatisfied and discontent. And friends, my, my dear brothers and sisters, that is not a good place to be in. This is where we find Haman. Haman was angry. This is how Satan works. Do you see what Satan was doing here? He was infuriating Haman even more, adding fuel to the fire. He knew what would somehow instigate that anger in the heart of Haman. So what does, what does Satan do? He makes, he makes Haman see Mordecai in the king's gate. And obviously, Mordecai would not bend. Guess what happens in the heart of Haman? He gets angry. He was furious. This is how Satan works. 
He works through hatred and the bitterness of people. Remember this. Listen well. Hatred and bitterness is not from God. Hatred and bitterness is not from the Lord. It is not the work of God in your heart. If there is hatred and bitterness in your heart, guess who is working in your heart? It's not God. It's not the Holy Spirit. It is Satan working in your heart. And you've got to be very careful, brothers and sisters, because if you do not overcome the hatred and the bitterness in your heart, you will fall prey and victim to Satan himself. And he is a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So here's the big question. Is there anyone that somehow, just by the appearance of this person, anger feel, fills your heart? That is something that should not happen. And notice how, how Satan works here as well. He surrounds Haman with people who were somehow fueling the fire of his bitterness. These were people who would say, Mauba bitao. Right? These are the people who somehow fuel the fire of your anger. You need to stay away from these people. You need to go to people who will tell you that you need to love, you need to forgive, you need to release whatever bitterness you have in your heart. Because, friends, without your knowing it, May you be a believer or not, Satan can actually use that bitterness in your heart. And friends, it's always going to be very messy. It's going to be very disorderly all the time. Now, look at Ephesians 4.31, the warnings of God in relation to bitterness. It says, let all, not some, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. You know, Ephesians chapter 4 is the put on, put off chapter. We are to put on what? The new man. And we are to put off what? The old man. And what is part of the old man as we see it here in Ephesians 4.31? Bitterness is part of the old man. Wrath is part of the old man. Anger is part of the old man. Clamor is part of the old man. And slander is part of the old man. All of these things, the Bible says, let all of this be put away from you. So if it is there present in our hearts, we need to get rid of it. Because if we don't get rid of it, guess what's going to happen? Satan is going to use that. And he's going to destroy you. He's going to mess you up. He's going to mess your mind. He's going to mess your heart. And just like Haman, you will not have peace. You will never be content. You will always want something, and that something that you want will never happen. That is what's going to take place. That's why, take a look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15, please. Hebrews 12, verse 15 reads, See to it that no one, so nobody's exempted here. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble. Say trouble. Say trouble. Say trouble. And then it says, and by it many be defiled. Say defiled. Say defiled. Say it for the last time. All right. Is it possible for us believers to fall short of the grace of God? Yes. We are able, it is possible for us to fall short of what God wants to accomplish in our lives. What is it that God wants to accomplish in our lives? He wants us to be conformed to the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. That is what God desires. God desires that we be conformed to the image of His own Son. And so we can fall short of that. 
Now, how do you fall short of the grace of God? Well, if the root of bitterness is in our hearts. Now, notice what it says. The root of bitterness springing up causes trouble. It's messy. When there's anger, when there's hatred in your heart, it's messy. It's disorderly. It's going to be dirty. That's why we do not want to end up in a place of bitterness because it's going to mess up our lives. It's going to mess up a lot of people. It's going to bring a lot of troubles, a lot of pain, a lot of hurts. That's why, brothers and sisters, here we find Haman was just falling into the pit trap of Satan. This was where Satan wanted Haman to be in. You know, if we could just picture Satan, Satan must have been clapping his hands, angry pamor, angry pamor, bitterness pamor. Come on. I believe Satan was, was really rejoicing in this situation because he knew that he, if he could get Haman angry enough, he would be able to accomplish his purposes. He would be able not only to annihilate the entire Jewish race, but Mordecai and Esther. And he knew that if Haman gets angry enough, the plan of salvation would be destroyed. He knew there would be no Messiah and there would be no Savior. And he was going to use anger as the very vehicle that would destroy the grand plan of God for redemption. Do you know what was at stake here? The great plan, the grand plan of salvation. And what is the tool that Satan would use to be able to destroy the plan of redemption? It was anger. Anger is a very dangerous thing. And so, let's take a look at what happens here as we see Haman's delights and his dismay. It says, verses 11 to 13, Then Haman recounted to them the glory of his riches and the number of his sons and every instance where the king had magnified him and how he had promoted him above the princes and servants of the king. Haman also said, Even Esther the queen, let no one but me come with the king to the banquet which he had prepared. And tomorrow also I am invited by her with the king. Yet... All this does not satisfy me every time I see Mordecai, the Jew sitting at the gate. He was recounting all his delights, the glory of his riches, the number of his sons numbering to ten. The king's exaltation of him, the king's promotion of him above the princes and the servants so that he became the prime minister. He rejoiced in the fact that Esther invited him to the banquet, not once but twice. And, and he was recounting all of this and he was glorying in that. It was self-worship. He was glorying in himself. But then a thought comes into his mind. Mordecai comes into his mind and anger fills his heart once again. So we find his delights and we find his dismay as well. By the way, it was an unusual honor to be invited by a queen to a banquet because the Medo-Persian kings were actually very protective of their wives. And so this was really unusual. So, you know, this, this really flattered uh, Haman. He was really thinking, I must really be special. One, for Queen Esther to invite me. And secondly, for King Haman to allow that. So he was really feeling good about himself. Yet, in verse 13, he says, Yet all of this does not satisfy me every time I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. Do you get angry every time you see somebody? Is it possible that's happening right now in your heart? That when you just see this somebody, it just ruins your day. Friends, just know this. 
That's not a good place to be in. Satan wants you like that. And if you want to be released from that, you better start repenting of that sin of bitterness. And not only that, you might say, but it's so hard. And every time I see this person, it's really a struggle inside my heart. There's, there's a war taking place inside my heart and my mind. I want to forgive, but I cannot forgive. I want to love, but I hate. It's really a love-hate relationship in my mind right now. What do I do? Here's my advice. Just do the right thing. Amen? Regardless of your feelings, just do the right thing. And you need to ask yourself, what is the right thing for me to do in this situation? Now, if it's a wrong thing and it goes against the grain of Scripture, then you know it's not the work of God. So friends, remember this. The Bible does not say that we walk by sight or we walk by feelings. The Bible says that we are not to walk by sight, but by what? By faith. So we do the right thing regardless. And friends, you know what? When we start loving people, when we start forgiving people, we will feel the love for them. Amen? We will feel the love for them. But you've got to start somewhere. And the best place to start is to repent, first of all. You know, the problem with Haman was that he was a control freak. You know what a control freak is? You want everything to go your way. If it doesn't go your way, you get angry. You want to be hands-on with everything. You want everything to be controlled by you. You want everything to be done the way you want it. Friends, let me just tell you, if you're that kind of a person, you will never be happy. Control freaks are never happy. Because the truth of the matter is this, the whole world does not revolve around us. The whole world revolves around God. We're not the center of gravity. God is. The problem with Haman was that he made himself the center of gravity. We could do the same thing as well. We could make ourselves the center of gravity. We're not. God is. And that's why everything should pull towards God and towards righteousness. That's the reason why Haman would never be happy until everybody kowtows to him. People like Haman would never be happy until everybody, everyone bows to their will and their wishes. And once again, that should not happen. You know what? Everybody should bow to the will of God. Amen? Only to the will of God. Not your will, not your wish, but the will of God. That is what's immutable. So, because Haman was greatly dismayed and angry, guess what's going to happen once again? Take a look at verse 14. Remember what it says? When the root of bitterness, the root of bitterness causes trouble? Well, take a look at what happens in verse 14. It says, Then Zeresh, his wife, and all his friends said to him, Have a gallows fifty cubits high made, and in the morning asked the king to have Mordecai hanged on it. Then go joyfully with the king to the banquet. And the advice pleased Haman, so he had the gallows made. Notice how Satan plays into the picture here. He surrounds Haman with people who somehow add fuel to the fire. And they were saying, you know what? This is really bad, Haman. You need to do something about this. This is payback time. You need, you need to do something really radical so that everybody in the kingdom will bow down and pay homage to you. Let this be an object lesson to everybody else. Show your wrath. Show your anger here, Haman. That's what the people here were saying. They were, they were cheerleaders. They were cheering Haman to do that which was evil. Satan uses other people to plant even greater hatred in Haman's heart such that now he agrees to their devious plan to destroy Mordecai. And how, how were they planning to do it? To have a gallows 
50 cubits high. You know, you know what that, how high that is? That's 75 feet high. Can, can you imagine how high that is? A basketball ring is 10 feet high. You multiply that by, by seven times and more, you have 75 feet. And the reason why he wanted it to be that is so that the gallows would be above the trees. So no matter where you are walking in the kingdom, you would see this person very high in the sky. You would see that he is impaled by the stake that you have made. And that would cause great fear and humiliation, obviously, on the part of, of the one who is going to be impaled on the stake. You know what, what Haman wanted to do here? He wanted to embarrass. He wanted to humiliate. He wanted to create a public scandal to show to the whole world who is in power. Who is the one that people should kowtow to. And that was Haman. That was what he wanted to achieve. And friends, very important that we understand we don't get everything that we want in this world. And sadly, sometimes many, many Christians have approached the church with a consumer kind of attitude. An attitude by which I want the church to bless me and give me everything I want. Well, again, I have news for you. We can't get everything we want. And when we don't get what we want, what should we do? We should be patient. We should wait upon the Lord and we should trust His will. We should say to God, Lord, if you're not giving this to me, then Lord, this is what you want. And Lord, you are doing something in my heart. You're shaping and molding my heart. And Lord, I just... I just submit myself to you. I just yield myself to you, Lord. Do your work in my heart. So as we bring to a close this sermon, we need to be asking ourselves this question. Again, I'm addressing nobody in particular. I'm not addressing the believer or just the unbeliever here. And the reason why I say that is because you could be a believer and you could be God's instrument but at the same time, you could also be Satan's instrument. Now, you do not want to be in the place where the one who is using you as a tool is Satan himself. You, want, you don't want to be a puppet in the hands. You know, you know what a puppet is? You don't want to be a puppet in the hands of Satan. And he's playing your life. He's moving you where you, he wants to move you. He's, he's making you do what, what he wants you to do. Rather, you would want to be a puppet in the hands of God. You want to be moving in accordance to the will of God. Whatever God wants, whatever God delights in. See, this chapter gave us an idea of how God works and how Satan works. Satan works through hatred, pride, and the foolishness of people to destroy others and the instruments he uses. God, on the other hand, supplies wisdom, gentleness, and love in using his instruments like Esther. It is not difficult to predict who is going to win in the end. In the book of Revelation, how does it all end? In the book of Revelation, it ends this way. Good wins, evil is defeated. How does it end in the book of Revelation? God wins, Satan loses. How does it end in the book of Revelation? The saints are victorious and the unbelievers are judged in Gehenna, the lake of fire. Friends, the lesson here is be an instrument of God. Amen? Don't be an instrument of the evil one. Be an instrument of God for his glory and for his praise. Shall we bow our heads in prayer?
Our Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you and bless you, Lord. Thank you for speaking to our hearts. And Lord, our prayer is that we might become your instruments and that we might be your weapon. We might be the tools that bring blessing. Lord, even as believers, we need to be warned that we too could be instruments or tools that Satan employs to destroy people and to destroy others. Let that not happen, O God. So allow us to leave everything into your loving hands and allow us to do the right thing. Allow us to be like Queen Esther who walked in wisdom, who worked in love, who worked in gentleness. Allow us not to be like Haman who allowed the anger in his heart to be fed, to be nourished, and to grow and to linger. And some of us, Lord, are in that place. We pray for repentance today. We pray for conviction. We pray for release. We pray, O oh God, that you will Remove the hatred, the slander, the clamor, the bitterness in our hearts. You will replace it with love. You will replace it with forgiveness. You will replace it with compassion. And so, Lord, thank you. Thank you for today. And we thank you also for the opportunity to give our tithes, our grace gifts, and our offerings. Lord, use them for the glory of your holy name. And Lord, would you be so kind to bless us in return, not because we're greedy and covetous, but Lord, our desire is to bless your kingdom more. And so Father, whatever has been achieved today, we return back to you all the glory, all the praises, and all the thanks. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen and amen.